begin our time with prayer. Father, we come before you tonight. And we come asking very simply that you would presence yourself among us by your spirit. And apply the truths of your word to our lives. Father, we need encouragement. We need strengthening. And we come and ask that you would take these words, your words, and you would strengthen our souls and encourage us to continue in the faith for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're starting a new series here this fall, and I've labeled it God's Purposes in Suffering. You don't have to live long before you encounter suffering. Pain, suffering, they're part of life. Some people suffer more than others, but nobody escapes suffering. Some suffering is obvious. Some of it's public. Other kinds of suffering are more hidden, more private. There's physical suffering. There's emotional suffering. There's relational suffering. There's different kinds of suffering. But everyone suffers. I grew up in a Christian home. I had loving parents. Life, my whole life changed very radically. It was a regular winter bronchitis slash cold. And it triggered an autoimmune disorder in my body. My immune system supposed to take, get rid of this bronchitis. Instead, it starts attacking my nervous system called Guillain-Barre syndrome. And within 24 hours, I was lying in ICU going paralyzed. Within three days, I was on a ventilator fighting for my life. I spent six months on that ventilator, seven months in ICU, another year and a half in therapy. Never did walk again. I've been in a wheelchair for 13 years. Um, suffering, physical suffering. It's not the only kind of suffering. Since then, I've experienced other kinds of suffering. But in, in those years, 28 years old, God introduced me to a world of suffering. And I remember lying there in that bed in ICU, not really able to move anything, completely paralyzed. One of these questions on my mind, one of the questions that really, that I wrestled with, and it was the question of why. It wasn't so much why me, you know, why not me? It was the question of, to what end? Like, what's the point of this that's going on in my life? I believed that God was in control. I believed he was powerful. I believed he was good. I believed he was working out his purposes in my life. And I'm thinking, I'm asking the question, why God? I'd been teaching here for two years at the school. I'm one of the teachers here. It was the spring. I was finishing up my second year studies. It's kind of hitting my stride as a teacher. I was feeling like it at least. I was like, getting into this teaching thing, and feet cut out from under you. Literally. (laughs) Why? I think that's one of the fundamental questions that we wrestle with when we encounter suffering, trials, affliction. What's the point of this? One of the most difficult things to deal with in life is purposeless suffering, meaningless suffering. And so we ask ourselves the question, why? Well, how are you going to endure suffering in life with hope, with faith? How are you going to encounter the trials and difficulties in your life 
in a way that brings honor and glory to God. Much of it depends on whether or not you and I begin to understand that God has a purpose in suffering. He has a purpose in it. And he's revealed that purpose in his word. And that's our goal over the next eight weeks. Just explore what are some of the purposes that God has revealed in his word. Why he brings suffering into the lives of his own people. Turn with me to Acts 14. You have some notes, some handouts. I went simple tonight, so I don't have a big PowerPoint. Don't have fill in the blank. It's a little unusual for me, I know. But here we are. Sparse notes. Acts 14 Verse 22, this is an interesting, it's an interesting passage. It's always struck me every time I've read it. Paul and Barnabas, way long ago in the first century, were missionaries. They were preaching the gospel in what is today southeastern Turkey, okay, uh, the Galatian area. And they were going, working their way through several cities, preaching the gospel. And people were responding. People were embracing the gospel, turning their lives over to Jesus Christ. And Paul and Barnabas, after they'd gone through several cities, they decided, hey, let's cut back and let's go back through those cities and let's strengthen those disciples. Let's try to encourage them in their faith. So that's where we pick up Acts 14. And I'm actually going to start in verse 21. 21. And it says, after they, that's Paul and Barnabas, they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, these different cities where they'd been ministering and preaching the gospel. And know what their goal was, their focus, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith. And then what you have here is fascinating. You have a summary of their message, one sentence summary. You third years, you're, you're having to do this, you know, one sentence summary of your message. Here's a one sentence summary of the message that Paul and Barnabas was bringing in order to encourage and strengthen these disciples. And here's what they say, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. How about that? How would you go about strengthening a new believer? Someone who just committed their life to Christ. Well, here's how Paul does it. Through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. The word tribulation is an interesting word. It means pressure, literally, a pressing together. And metaphorically, it has the idea of affliction, distress caused by suffering, by trouble in life. Through many troubles, through many sufferings, we must enter the kingdom of God. What does it mean to enter the kingdom of God? Well, it doesn't seem to me like Paul is talking about the moment we first came to know Jesus Christ that initial coming to Christ. I don't think he's talking about that because it wouldn't make much sense here for him to say, hey, how did you, you know, how do you come to know Jesus through suffering? We're not saved by suffering. Now, I think what Paul has in mind here is an ultimate entering into the kingdom of God. Something that's out ahead, not something that's passed for these new believers, but something that's out ahead. That day when we will stand before Jesus Christ and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. He says, how do you get to that day? How do you get to the day when you stand before Jesus and he says, well done? What's the path that takes you to that day? The path that leads not around, but through 
many tribulations. In other words, he's preparing these believers for hardship, for difficulties, so that they're not thrown off by that. Like, oh, I thought this was going to be an easy life. No, it's not an easy life. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. In other words, what Paul and Barnabas are saying is God has a purpose in your suffering. God has purpose in it. The suffering in your life is purposeful. It's not accidental. God is bringing you into his everlasting kingdom. God in his infinite wisdom has chosen to sanctify his people and prepare them to live in his eternal kingdom by means of suffering, through the path of suffering. That's what he's communicating. And this is a key verse. This is our key verse for our entire series. I'm bringing it up right here. Okay, I'm thinking of like, this is the purpose. If you think of what is my goal in these meetings? My goal is hopefully, is, is really Paul's goal right here. I hope that by these, through these eight sessions, or however, however many sessions you come to, your soul would be strengthened. Your inner person would be strengthened. You'd be strengthened spiritually to walk with Jesus Christ. And that you would be, verse 22, encouraged to continue in the faith. Not to give up, but to press on in the faith. That's my goal in these meetings. And I believe that one of the ways God is going to encourage you and strengthen you is by teaching you that he has a purpose and the trials that you encounter in life. All right, you're there in your notes, a few preliminaries. I want to clarify first, I want to clarify three things, but number one, my goal in these sessions, my primary goal is really to talk about God's purpose in the suffering of God's people, those who've entrusted their lives to Jesus Christ. But I realize that there may be some here tonight um, who have not taken that step. You've not entrusted your life to Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Maybe you don't really know where you stand spiritually. You're like, you're like, I don't know. I don't even know what I believe. I, I have questions. And you know what? I just want to pause right here and I want to say, I'm thrilled that you're here. And I don't believe it's an accident that you're here. I believe that you're here because God is at work in your life. And he's drawing you to himself. And I'm thrilled that you're here. And actually, tonight is for you. Because tonight, we're going to talk about the gospel. We have to understand how our suffering fits in light of the gospel. So tonight's for you. Listen. God has a word for you. That's the first thing I want to say. Secondly, I want to just clarify that this is eight sessions. Eight sessions on a huge topic in Scripture. So I'm not going to be able to be comprehensive. And I'm just going to say that right off. Uh, there are passages that I'd love to touch on that I won't be able to touch on. It might be your favorite passage. I'm sorry. Um, so we won't be able to touch on every passage in Scripture that talks about suffering. Suffering is a huge topic in the Word of God. But finally, I want to say this. And I want you to hear this. I'm not here as an expert on suffering. I know my suffering is a little more obvious in the sense I'm in a wheelchair and, and so forth. But I, I want to be really clear. I'm not here as an expert on suffering. I'm not going to give you, you know, I'm not the one who's figured it all out, and I'm going to give you four steps to a happier life. You know, just do what I did, and your life will be 
as good as mine is. <laughs> you know, you want that? Um, the reality is I still struggle. I still have doubts in the midst of my suffering. Yes, yeah, my wife. I still have struggles. But I come to you as a fellow sufferer who's not figured it all out, who still struggles. But I come to you as someone who has experienced, experienced God's comfort and God's strengthening through suffering. And I am convinced, because this is the way God has done it in my life, that God through his word can impart comfort and strength to your heart and to your life. I'm convinced of that. You know, there is an expert on suffering. You know who the expert in suffering is? Jesus Christ. He's the expert in suffering, our God. And our God is not an expert, not in, in just in a, an intellectual, you know, obviously God, he knows everything, so obviously he's an expert in some, you know, intellectual, mental sort of way. God is an expert in suffering in an experiential way. No one has suffered more than the Lord Jesus Christ. He has suffered more than any human being will ever suffer. And because of that, he's entered into our suffering. He can sympathize with us. He knows what it's like to live on this earth, in this human body, with all the brokenness that attends life in this world. So tonight, what's our goal for tonight? That's all introduction. What's our goal for tonight? Our goal is to think of the big picture, God's plan, and how suffering fits into this plan of God. It's going to be fairly straightforward. And I'm going to begin, still in that introductory section, you'll see that section that says we cannot receive God's strength and comfort without accepting his point of view. You see that there in your notes? That's where we're at. We cannot receive God's comfort and strengthening without accepting his point of view. It was a few years ago that um, I heard a story about a, a doctor. He was a, an ENT specialist, ear, nose, throat specialist. He was watching TV one evening, and he noticed this lady on TV, and as he was watching her, he noticed this slight lump here in her neck. And being an ENT, he was concerned because he thought that could be cancer. He immediately understood what that could mean. He found a way of communicating with the network and, and eventually with the woman herself and just letting her know his fears. She got it checked out. It was cancer. She went in for treatments and she was able to get it taken care of. But I want you just to imagine for a moment, what if the woman, you know, here's the stranger giving you a phone call. You don't know who this person is, says, I don't believe in cancer. Cancer? Forget cancer. I think cancer is made up by doctors. They just want to make more money, you know, and slam the phone down. Showed you. You see, if she doesn't accept the doctor's point of view, she won't be able to be helped. She can go on in her denial that she doesn't have cancer, but it's not going to help her much over time. In order for her to receive help, she has to accept the doctor's point of view. And in order for us to receive God's help, we have to accept his point of view. We have to accept his perspective. We all have a point of view. You cannot be alive in a sense without having some way at which you make sense of life. We all do it. There's ways that we make sense of what our lives are all about, why we're here, what we're up to. 
And we all have a sense right now of what our greatest need is. I want you to pause for a minute. What is your greatest need right now? As you sit there, what do you believe is your greatest need? You rub that mythological bottle, the genie pops out. You can ask him anything. What do you ask for? What do you ask for? Financial security? Health? Perfect health? Restoration of an estranged relationship? What's your most pressing need tonight? You see, God has something to say in his word about what our deepest need is. And if we want God's comfort, if we want his help, we need to listen to our diagnosis. We need to listen to his perspective and accept his point of view. I believe that human beings, as we look at the world, we have a sense deep down inside that things are not the way they're supposed to be. Do you have that sense? As you look out, as you live life, I feel like the older I get, the more I'm like, this is not the way things are supposed to go. (laughs) This is not the way I imagine life. This was not supposed to happen. We have this sense deep down inside. And as you turn to the Bible, the Bible is God's word to humanity, the message of God to a broken world you realize you'll find out that God doesn't come to us and say, get over it. Suck it up. That's reality. That's not what you get from God in his word. In fact, what's fascinating is as you turn to the word of God, you realize you'll find out that our perception of life not being what it ought to be is actually confirmed. This is not the way things were designed to be. By God. And so the big question we could ask ourselves is why? Why are things the way they are? Why is there suffering in the world? Why is there so much brokenness? And this is where the storyline of the Bible is extremely helpful. So in your notes, we're going to start in there with creation. We're going to start at the very beginning, and we're going to move our way to the end. And we're going to just think through the the major turning points in the storyline of the Bible And how that helps us understand suffering. We've got to get this context before we go any further in our study, thinking about God's purpose in suffering. So we're going to go all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. This will be a survey, so I'm not going to land in any specific text. But as you read the first two chapters of Genesis, the very first two chapters of the Bible, you read how God created the world. And he created everything Good. Mankind is described as the apex of God's creation. He's placed in a garden called Eden. Eden means delight. And everything is described with this adjective good. Everything's good. There's no pain. There's no suffering. There's no tragedies. There's no natural calamities, no chaos, no broken relationships. Everything is good. Everything is right. Everything is as it should be. Read in Genesis 1.31, God saw that everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Very good. And you might ask yourself the question, what made life good in the Garden of Eden? What made life good? You might be tempted to point to the fruit trees. That makes life pretty good. All those fruit trees. 
the nice weather, you know, the animals that don't harm us, perfect health. But you see, we'd be all wrong if we started pointing to all these things in the Garden of Eden. Because the goodness of the garden flowed from the goodness of God. The goodness of the garden flowed from the goodness of God. And man experienced that goodness without reserve because he was in a right relationship with God. He submitted his life to God. He obeyed God. And there was nothing hindering human beings from experiencing the unbridled blessings of God. Quite something. How do I know that? How do we know that? All you got to do is turn to chapter 3 of Genesis. And you realize, when did all that goodness go away? It went away when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. That's when it went away. The goodness of creation was broken when Adam and Eve rebelled against their good creator. And that plunged the world into chaos. You see that next major point, the fall there. That's Genesis chapter 3. See, God had commanded Adam and Eve not to eat of a tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One command. He says, on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So he warned them. He warned them not to eat of it, and he warned them of a judgment that would come if they did eat of it. What's fascinating is this comes in chapter 2. It comes before Adam and Eve rebel and, and disobey God. What's interesting is right there in the goodness of the garden in chapter 2, you already have the potential for suffering. The possibility of suffering is introduced in chapter 2. Well, in chapter 3, what do we read? We read that Adam and Eve disobeyed God. It's only about seven minutes if you're reading. If you're reading Genesis 1, Two, it's only about seven minutes reading into the Bible and you realize, boom, everything falls apart. Adam and Eve took of that fruit. They sunk their teeth into it. And in doing that, in a sense, what they were saying is, I'm going to call the shots in my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to trust you, God. I'm not going to obey you, God. I think I know better than you, God. And they rebelled against God. They were tempted by Satan, and they fell to that temptation. And just as God warned, this sin, this disobedience brought death. It brought a spiritual death that affected their relationship with God and with other people, but it also began to bring about a physical death, the deterioration of their bodies. And God comes to them. You read in Genesis chapter 3 how God comes after them. He calls out to them, and they were hiding. They come out of hiding, and God begins to confront them over their disobedience. And he pronounces judgment upon them. First on the serpent, Satan, who tempted them. Secondly, on Eve, then on Adam. And as you read the judgment that's pronounced there in chapter 3, you realize that the judgment is a judgment that affects our bodies, our physical bodies. They begin to deteriorate and fall apart. It affects our relationships with each other, husband, wife, Um, siblings, children. You see in the very next chapter 4, you have a brother murdering another brother. You see it affects our environment. God curses the ground. And even the environment starts to fall apart. Someone has said that Genesis 3 is the most important chapter in the Bible. 
This one commentator says Genesis 3 defines for us the problem of a fallen civilization, a fallen society, a fallen humanity, and a fallen university. But li- universe. Listen to what he says here, though. It's fascinating. He says, not to understand the third chapter of Genesis is not to understand anything about the world in which we live. Think about that statement. Not to understand Genesis chapter 3 is not to understand anything about the world in which we live and the problem that is ours. You see, God is giving us his point of view in Genesis chapter 3. Will we hear it? Will we listen to it? And so we need to pause here. We need to ask the question, why is there cancer, disability, disease, paralysis, dementia? Why are there tornadoes and tsunamis and hurricanes and famines and earthquakes and accidents? Why are there kidnappings and murders and abusive homes, persecution, broken relationships? Why is there poverty? Why is there racism? Why is there injustice? Why all this brokenness? Why all this suffering? Why is it all there? And the Bible says that it all springs from this point in history when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and plunged plunged all of humankind into sin. Suffering is a result of sin and of living in a broken world. And ultimately, it's the result of a broken relationship with God. Now here I have to be really, really cautious. And so you have it there in your notes. A caution and it's written out. Because I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. This does not mean that our specific suffering is necessarily a direct of some particular sin we've committed in life. I am not trying to say that everything you're suffering in your life is due to some particular sin you committed in your life. In fact, the Bible actually comes out and clearly says, often that's not the case. But, every trouble and every affliction, every trial and every suffering you experience in this life is due, not necessarily something you did in your life, but it is due to what Adam and Eve did at the very beginning. It is due to the reality of sin in this world. We live in a world, a good world that has gone wrong. We live in a good world that has gone. You can actually see that as you look out. I mean, the the sunset tonight was incredible. There is a goodness to this world. But it's a good world that has gone wrong. And it's gone wrong not because God made a mistake. It's gone wrong not because there's an evil power equal to God that overcame God. And we're wrestling with that evil power. It's gone wrong because we collectively as human beings have chosen to disregard God's authority and strike it out on our own. We'll figure this thing out on our own. See you later, God. And there's a very important lesson that we need to learn right here. And it's this. The Bible teaches us that there's something far worse than poverty. Far worse than weakness and disease. Worse than natural disaster. Worse than persecution. Worse even than death itself. And it's our sin our broken relationship with God. Because all those other things are just the effects of that. But fundamentally, at the root of it all, is our refusal to submit to a good and loving God. 
again, unless we accept God's diagnosis, we can't accept his help. We won't be open to his comfort. What's God's diagnosis? We have a cancer called sin, which will kill us if it's not dealt with. And our greatest need, this is the point tonight, our greatest need is not to be rescued or delivered from some temporal trials in our life. Your greatest need and mine is to be rescued from the darkness of our own sin. And so we ask ourselves the question, is there a way? Can we be rescued? Who can meet that need? Who can lead us back to Eden, the land of delight? Who can restore the relationship between us and God? Well, there's good news. There's good news. There is a way. There is a way back to God. And that's why the next point in your notes is called salvation, because God himself has stepped in and made a way. There's nothing we could do. There's nothing you could do to rescue yourself. Nothing I could do to rescue myself. God himself had to step in and make a way. How did he do that? Well, the good news is that God, in his infinite love, his infinite mercy, his infinite grace, sent his son, his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world. And Jesus Christ experienced suffering right alongside with us. He entered into this world of suffering. And he experienced this broken world. But something was different about Jesus Christ. He wasn't part of the problem like we are. He didn't have a sin nature like we have. He never sinned. He never had a wrong thought. He never spoke a wrong word. At every point, he did the will of God. He obeyed God at every point. He was always in a right relationship with his father, God. And then he was taken and he was crucified on a cross. And there he hung naked, judged, dying on a cross. But it was not an ordinary death. The Bible tells us that it was a sacrificial death because he wasn't hanging there dying for his sins. He did nothing. It was a substitutionary death. That means it was a death in our place. He was there on the cross bearing the punishment that we deserved because of our sin. He went to a cross to take and bear the judgment of God in our place. And he died. He absorbed that judgment in totality and he died. And he was buried. And three days later, the word of God tells us that he rose from the dead. Came back to life. And the resurrection is God's stamp of approval on Jesus Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. In a sense, it's God declaring to the whole world, I've accepted that sacrifice. I've accepted it on behalf of anyone who will put their trust in Jesus Christ, who will turn from their sins and put their trust in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus meets our deepest need and makes possible a restoration in our relationship between us and God. If you remember back in 2010, there was quite an amazing story in the news. There were 33 Chilean miners 
were trapped 2,300 feet underground when the mine collapsed over their heads. You remember that story in the news? After 17 days, crews were able to drill a six-inch hole miraculously down and, and, and into the place where they were huddled. And miraculously, they were able to send a note back up saying, we're all alive, all 33 of us. In this deep, dark hole, we're alive. And so they were able, through that six-inch hole, over the next few days, they were able to start feeding them, sending water and food and medicine and clothing and, and the things that they needed. And then over the next 52 days, I mean, just imagine that, 52 days, they began drilling a bigger hole in order to get them out of there. 69 days after the accident, all 33 men were extracted and reunited with their families. Now just imagine with me, what would you say was their greatest need when they were trapped there underground? Well, I think we would say they need to get out, right? We need to get them out of there. Isn't that every, what everyone was aiming at? What if, imagine after the six-inch hole is, is dug and we're sending them food and water and clothing and all these things. We say, hey, just be happy down there. You got everything you want. I mean, you know, what else do you want? Would that have been, a, would that have been a, okay? You know, food, water, clothing. We'll give you some money down there if you, if you need it. No, you don't be like, no, that's, that's, that, that's wrong. They need to get out, right? They need to, to, to feel the sun shining on their face. They need to feel the air, the, the, the wind blowing through their, their hair. They need to be reunited with their loved ones. Like, that's what they need. Their need, their real need, is to be rescued from their dark, miserable hole that they're trapped in. God does more than dig a six-inch hole down to humanity. God has bore a much bigger hole with a rescue capsule, and it's gone down, and he invites us to come to the surface. There's a sense in which, because of sin, we're all down in this deep, dark hole of sin, spiritually I'm talking about. And your greatest need and my greatest need is to come to the surface and to be in the sunshine of God's presence. You might not realize it, but that's your greatest need. A lot of us just go, hey, just keep sending me food, money, medication. I'm good. I don't want rescuing. Now imagine if you saw someone down there. There's the rescue capsule. You're in this little dark hole. Rescue capsule's right there. You're right here, and you're like, uh, I'm good, you know? <laughs> I like it down here. When you think the guy gone's crazy, like, get them in that thing. Get him to the surface. He's gone nuts. And yet, sometimes that's how we think. Well, you might, you might be thinking through all this. You might be saying to yourself, well, I don't know if what you're saying is really making sense because I've seen people's lives who put their trust in Jesus. They call themselves Christians and they still go through a lot of suffering. They go through a lot of hard things. 
So how can you say that Jesus fixed everything? How, how can you say that he rescued? Well, I'm glad you asked the question because that's what the whole rest of the series is about. <laughs> you know, what is God doing in the midst of suffering for those who put their trust in him? But we can say this. The reality is right now the story's not finished. The story's not finished. God is not finished rescuing this broken world. Do you realize that? God began rescuing in the person of Jesus Christ, but God is not finished the rescuing process. It's ongoing as we speak. As we speak right now, people are going into that capsule and coming to the surface and experiencing the glory of a new relationship with God. See, if if this world, this present world, is all that there is, well, then it kind of makes sense to just live for this present world. Give me food, give me clothing, give me what I need, and that's the best you can do in this life. But the reality is that there's more to this world. There's a world to come. There's an eternity out ahead for every one of us. Jesus Christ is going to come back one day. You realize that? Jesus Christ is going to come back bodily, physically. He's going to stand on this earth, and he's going to make everything right again. And every single one of us is going to have to stand before Jesus Christ. And that day is going to be either a very terrible day or a wonderful day. And it all depends on how you respond to this invitation that Jesus is making to come into the rescue capsule and be rescued from your sin. Because on that day, if you say to Jesus Christ, I rejected you. I didn't want your offer of salvation. I didn't want you to die on a cross for me. I want to bear my own judgment. I want to be punished for what I did. That's a serious thing, isn't it? That day he's going to say, okay, that's what you wanted. That's what you're going to get. And there's an eternal judgment for those who reject Jesus Christ. That's the reality. That's, That's what the word of God teaches. But then there are those who say, I don't want to bear my own punishment. And Jesus, I don't know why, but you bore it for me. And I accept that. I receive that. I I want that forgiveness. I want that restoration. And there's eternal life for those who accept that gift. See, the Bible tells us that there's an eternity ahead for each one of us. It's an eternity that will either be spent in a place of unspeakable joy or in a place of unspeakable torment. And it all, it all is determined. I should ask, what is it that determines what experience will be ours? Let me just say this. It does not depend on how good of a person you are. Just be really clear. It doesn't depend on if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. There's no good thing you can do to earn eternal life. It doesn't even depend on how much you suffered. I've suffered a lot. Suffering will not earn you salvation from sin. It won't. No, it all depends on whether you know someone or I know someone who's willing to be our substitute, who's willing to go and bear God's judgment, who's willing to go to hell for our, in our place. And you know what, my friends? I know a person like that. 
His name is Jesus Christ. And he has offered to be our substitute. In fact, he's already done it. He's already accomplished it. And the question tonight is, will you be reconciled to your creator through the person and work of Jesus Christ? Will you accept that gift? It's a gift. You say, well, how do I do that? How do I accept that gift? Well, it's not complicated. It's really simple. You don't have to do anything to earn it. It's been done for you. But it does begin with this. You have to agree with God as to your diagnosis. You have to agree with God. I have a problem that I cannot fix in my own strength. I have a sin problem that I cannot deal with in my own. And then you have to be honest with God about that sin problem. And then you have to turn and get into that rescue capsule. You have to run to Christ. You have to embrace him. What does it mean to run to him? Cry out to him. Say, I want to be rescued. I want my sins to be forgiven. Have mercy on me, God. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me. I believe in what Jesus did for me. I believe that. And I ask that you apply that work to me, to my life. I want a new life. I want eternal life. That can happen right now. It can happen tonight. It's turning from your sin. It's, just remember, what did Adam and Eve do when they took that fruit? One of the things they were doing was, I want to call the shots. I want to be the master of my life. I want to go my own way. And if you're going to turn back to Jesus Christ into that rescue capsule and be delivered, you're going to have to turn away from your own way, going your own way, and turn to Jesus Christ and say, I want you to rule over me. I want you to call the shots. I want you to direct my life. My life's a mess. Please direct my life. And you know what? He will do it. If you turn to Jesus Christ tonight, he will receive you. And he will forgive you. And he will clean you. And he will restore you into a relationship with God. This is where God's comfort begins. See, my friends, if we're going to accept God's comfort and strengthening through his word, we have to begin right here. The rest of the series will make no sense if we don't understand this right here. This is our greatest need. Do you realize that suffering can be a mercy? I said earlier, I wasn't going to talk about God's purposes and suffering in the lives of unbelievers, but actually there is a purpose, one purpose at least, is suffering can awaken you to your sense of need. It can be like a trumpet alerting you to the reality of the need that you have for Jesus Christ. It can shake us up. It can remind us that we live in a broken world, a world that's passing away. 
Maybe tonight you have put your trust in Jesus Christ. You are a believer. You've already done this. You've gone to the rescue capsule. You've come up to the surface. You've experienced the sunshine of God's face. But maybe tonight you're struggling because of suffering in your life. You're struggling with doubting God's goodness. Struggling to believe that God is for you. That he has your best interest in mind. And I want to just tell you tonight, encourage you tonight, remember what God has done in his son, Jesus Christ. God has forever demonstrated his love towards you by sending his son to go to a cross. And in that, meeting your greatest need. Your greatest need my greatest need. The ultimate proof that God is for us is what he's done in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so can I be frank tonight? I say this again. Our greatest need, here together, I don't care what you're going through, our greatest need is not to be relieved and delivered from some temporal suffering. It's a lie to think if only such and such a situation would change in my life, everything would be okay. You can gain the whole world and you can lose your soul. Our greatest need in this life is to be forgiven of our sins and restored in our relationship with our Creator. That's our greatest need. And guess what? God has made a way. The way is open. That's the good news. I'd ask that you bow your head as we close tonight. And we've talked about some serious things. There's nothing more serious than the decision you will make as to what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. So just bow your head for a moment. And think about that. If God is speaking to you tonight, I ask, I encourage you, respond to his voice. Father, we thank you that you've made a way in the Lord Jesus Christ to meet the fundamental need of our hearts. To be rescued from our own sin. To be made right with you. Oh, Father, encourage us tonight. Make that real to our hearts tonight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.